Hi, I'm Kelly Cervantes, and this is Seizing Life, a bi-weekly podcast produced by Citizens United for Research in Epilepsy, CURE. Today, we continue our series of remotely recorded episodes during the COVID-19 pandemic by welcoming Alec Bosignor Jimenez and his mother, Katie Bosignor, to the podcast. Alex is a former Marine who sustained injuries in a training accident in 2015. Following the accident, Alec underwent a series of operations to repair and regain use of his right hand. However, it wasn't until several months after the accident that Alec experienced the first indication that he had also sustained a traumatic brain injury resulting in PTE or post-traumatic epilepsy. Alec and his mother are here today to talk about his injury, diagnosis, and living with PTE. Alec, Katie, thank you so much for joining us today and discussing your experiences with post-traumatic epilepsy and traumatic brain injuries. Um, I have to admit personally that this was not a form of epilepsy that I knew much about until um, a couple of years ago when CURE was awarded a grant from the Department of the Defense to study post-traumatic epilepsy. I want to hear about uh, how this all began for you, the training accident that caused your injury. Take us back to that day. So my whole life, I always uh, have been interested in the military. um, And so I joined the the Marine Corps infantry. uh, And in the the infantry, they have sections. You have a a rifleman, um, assaultman, a machine gunner. I went the mortarman. and essentially there's just a, a tube that shoots a rocket up and down. Uh, and on that day, we were out on a training accident and we just had a, a bad round. Uh, so as a mortarman, you load around in the tube, you drop it and you duck your head below the muzzle. So you get away from any explosives that happen above the muzzle. Uh, unfortunately, I sat the round in the tube and I was waiting for the command to fire, uh, but it, prematurely went off. It cooked off in the tube is what we call it. And the amount of, the only way for the pressure to release is up at the top. Um, So I was still looking directly at the top of the muzzle and my fingers were there. So it knocked off my fingers and I got a huge round of concussive to my head, concussion. That's a little terrifying, I can imagine. So what were um, the next hours and days like you, I assume they rush you to the hospital and, and what are you told about your injuries? So uh, I'll tell you the, initially when it happened, we, we were on the big Island of the Hawaii where our, our biggest mortar range happened. So I just remember sitting there, it was a nighttime operation. Um, and again, you know, I didn't hear the command to fire and the round went off. So I thought something bad happened. I just remember everybody, you know, scattering, looking confused, uh, don't know what was happening. Uh, I got the corpsman down. He threw a tourniquet on me pretty quickly, uh, but we had to get everybody, you know, uh, an evac up to our site. Uh, And then once the evac brought me back to the main camp that we established, I had to hop on a helicopter over to the uh, Kaneohe Bay where Tripler, uh, the Army base, the medical base was. And I just remember, you know, being confused, scattered around, not sure really what was going on. I remember looking down at my hand and just seeing red. So I thought the whole hand got knocked off. 
thank God it's just a couple of my digits shortened a little bit. Uh, the next, the next few days I was, you know, surgery. So I was under a lot of anesthesia. I couldn't tell you what happened after the next few days. She, she can tell you on that one. Well, and, and what happened quite quickly, you know, Alec actually is even the one that phoned me. Um, so I was in Florida. So within 24 hours, I was on the plane there. So I got to him pretty quickly. Um, and like Alex said, a lot of surgeries, a lot of debridements, a lot of saving fingers, saving his thumb. Um, but I think kind of what you're after is there was no real test and no real discussion about any brain head trauma. Um, was there an MRI done? Any sort of brain scan? Were you, did they discuss concussions, traumatic brain injury, epilepsy, post-traumatic epilepsy with you? I, I definitely think, because again, my, my unit was st still a lot of young guys. Uh, and there was, again, the main, just because it was so visual, my hand was the, the issue. There was no attention really directed towards my head. I don't think that the story out on the field got um, well uh, written down because, you know, essentially you're supposed to duck below the muzzle where all the, the explosion comes from. Um, so I think they thought I'd duck below the muzzle. And again, no real attention was paid uh, directed towards my head. Uh, and I think, right, I think that the immediate concern was his hand. It was really saving his hand, the, you know, the, the extent of the damage. You know, that was just, that, that was the mission. That was the goal uh, when they got there and the, and the medical staff. But you would still think something like that. They know, they know all possibilities that let's check everything. So I don't recall ever them saying anything about an MRI. If they did, if they did one in the beginning, they didn't find anything because I was with him for the next 20 days in the hospital. There was no MRI. There was no discussion about head trauma. It was really his hand. Mm -hmm. That was it. Which was the visible injury. I mean, it's, mm -hmm. you know, you can see the logic in it. That is, that's yeah. the visible one that's there. Um, unfortunately, this is, um, the, you know, there's a track record of, it is difficult for people to understand epilepsy. It is difficult to treat because it is invisible because we can't see this incredible injury. When did you have your first seizure? It was uh, a few months after the accident. Uh, uh, the accident happened in May and my first seizure happened in December. So pretty quickly after, but it, again, it really didn't show much attention. I just was driven to the hospital, uh, kind of treated and then sent back to the battalion that I was with. Did they give you any explanation as to why you might have had the seizure? Again, it was, I was, I was out at a, a, one of my, my friends at my battalion's house. We were having a few beers, just kicking back away from the wounded warrior battalion is where they relocated me to just the stress of being in that, that, that battalion. Um, so they, I think they saw it more as, you know, we were, we were causing trouble drinking uh, away from the staff and, you know, something went bad and I just got directed to the hospital. It was more, they saw it as a, me doing something wrong instead of relating it back to my injury. And, and he went by ambulance because his friend saw him, what we know now is a, was a tonic-clonic uh, seizure. He fell, he fell over, he had facial injuries, 
And I got the phone call from him, you know, in, in the emergency room. I even remember speaking to the nurse. Um, they had him handcuffed to the gurney because he was angry. And we know that when people have seizures, they get angry, they get confused. That's typical for Alec. We know that now. Um, and it was described by the, the friends he was with. It was two people. They described that it looked like he had a seizure. They drug tested him. They did all these things and said, we don't see anything in his system. And they released him. And that so was They it. drug tested him, but they didn't do an MRI. They didn't. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, that was our first. On, on top of that too, I had a, my, I had a huge fat swollen lip because my, my face slammed into the ground. Again, no, no attention to any head, head injuries. And it, and it wasn't, you know, I know that the people described it as a seizure, the, 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 the people that he was with. Um, and, and they, I, I just don't understand that piece, you know, looking back, I mean, I'm, I'm hindsight 2020, you know, knowing what I know now, but we can't go back. We, we can't go back because that doesn't exist. That day doesn't exist, but it, it definitely wasn't unfortunate, but that was seizure number one. Mm -hmm. That was that clinical signs that showed something major. I know just by looking back at that time, the confusion, his memory, he remembers not a lot of that time. We kind of had blamed it on the medication because he was on a lot of medication. I have to believe that I really do believe that he was already having some seizures. We just didn't see them. Hi, this is Brandon from Citizens United for Research in Epilepsy, or CURE. Epilepsy affects 3.4 million Americans. Learn more about cutting-edge epilepsy treatments and research at cureepilepsy.org. Now back to this episode of Seizing Life. And then the next seizure happened, um, but it was quite a bit later. Tell us about that. Okay, so that one, I was medically retired from the, the military. Uh, just kind of now again, restarting life, essentially. Um, it was definitely- How many years have gone by at this point or how much time? About a year and a half. Yeah, I think close to two, close to two years. Okay. And really just starting to get in a group. I was, I selected a college back out in Colorado, um, moving away from mom, uh, after all, all this medical stuff being released, that, that was a hard pill to swallow being medically retired from the Marine Corps because that's what I wanted to be in. Um, so I picked a new career path. I'm motivated to get to Colorado, uh, move into my place. Uh, we, we talked about, I did, I, I just drove from Florida to Colorado with all my gear, moving into my apartment. My cousin came out to visit me um, and we were in what they call Cave of the Winds. It's a, an attraction out in the mountains. And I had a seizure uh, when we were doing a cave tour. Um, and I just remember, I, I just think the, the load of stress that was happening at the time, the transition in life, still really kind of uh, grinding my gears, a long drive. Uh, mom says a lack of oxygen in the, in the caves could have, you know, yeah. yes, uh, sparked it. But it was, it was in, in the cave of the winds during, during a cave tour. But again, yeah. it was a tonic clonic, you know, it was a big, one of those, those big seizures that you can't avoid, you know, you, you, you see them, you know, they're happening. And I, and I, I continue the position that had I known what to look for, I know that he's, he had, was having more than just these, mm -hmm. these big ones, these, these big events were just presenting, but I know what I know now about seizures and, and specifically Alec, um, 
there were other things present, mm -hmm. but I just didn't know. We didn't know what they were to even um, identify those things at the time. Yeah, I, I, absolutely. And um, so you have this second seizure a year and a half or so later, the second tonic clonic, we'll say, because mm -hmm. there could have been um, likely seizures happening in between mm -hmm. and you just didn't know that that's what they were. Um, at that point, an MRI is done and you are diagnosed. Is that correct? At that point, I, they referred me to a neurologist out in Colorado. So that was the first time I got a really attention towards my head. I'm now in with the neurologist and she starts me on a light uh, prescription of Keppra. Uh, so now they're thinking, you know, I'm having seizures. I don't think I was diagnosed specifically at that point with epilepsy, but from then on, uh, my epilepsy really started ramping up. I was having, you know, the, the tonic clonics, you know, grand malls. Um, and we, we started gaining the knowledge of what we know now that, Hey, this is a really big problem. Um, we need to, you know, give it more of a focus and treat it as, as a bigger problem. So I, I started getting prescribed medication. Um, and we just started testing out a lot of different things. But unfortunately, you know, there's all of these studies that have been done that show that sort of once those floodgates open, mm -hmm. it is very difficult to regain some semblance of control. It's much easier to plateau or, or maintain the control or lack thereof that you have, but, but regaining that is that much more difficult. Um, do you have seizure control today? Seizure control is, you know, hard to say. Yes, I do in, in, in various points, but, you know, you just never know when one of those puppies sneak up and wants to mess up your day. I do, for the most part, have seizure control with the medication I'm on. Um, I did just get the deep brain stimulator uh, surgery. It, it's Tell not us about that a little bit. Yeah, so ultimately... I talked with my first neurologist. Uh, she had presented me the idea of the vagus nerve stimulator um, and the deep brain stimulator. I was more interested in the deep brain stimulator. So from then on to this point, you know, I've been kind of seeking that as my end goal. What's going to kind of help me out now that it's implanted. Um, I don't have it turned on yet, so I don't have much information on that. Besides the surgery, they give you a sweet couple of haircuts. Um, they implant the probes up here, um, and then they put the generator in your chest. Um, Similar to a VNS, but uh, yes. from my understanding, it is um, more directly implanted on the brain versus the vagus nerve. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you don't get to a brain stimulator, though, without going through the medication trial and errors. Um, you know, I, I think one of the goals was really to find that focal point and to possibly remove that part. And hopefully the goal was really to be seizure free. I mean, that's what we all want. Mm -hmm. um, but you know, all the tests we did and just the rapid increase of seizures that really changed his life and debilitated him. Um, we actually had got it over to the epilepsy center in Tampa um, and started doing in, inpatient EEGs. Um, that's where we found there were stuff coming from both sides. And then that led to the SEEG, which is the invasive, where they uh, drilled nine holes and put the probes in. And he was in the hospital for 10 days to really get a solid understanding of what was happening. That's when we really learned that 
he wasn't going, he wasn't a candidate for finding that focal point because there, there's two of them. It's on, on both sides. Um, and the amount of seizures he was having, I think they, they got 60 in, in six days, but he was still on a heavy dose of medication because they slowly take him off. Um, and that's when they decided that the deep brain stimulator at this time was the best therapy for him yeah. in addition to his medication. Right. You mentioned that, you know, the seizures were coming from both sides of the brain at this point. Were they able to find um, or, or see some type of brain injury in the scans? Yeah, with my epileptologist, when I got my, my first real big MRI focused on trying to find a problem in, in, in my brain, I do have a lesion that we believe came from the accident. Um, it's up in my right hippocampus area, um, and it, it did show signs of a lesion that was just never focused on at, at the very beginning. And, 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 you know, that was one of the things that the, the target area, I guess, they were really focusing on. Because, you know, when you saw that lesion, that's a hard thing to see in, in, in your brain, just a gap. Um, they were just hoping that that may have been that the center, the source. Um, but it proved not to be, which is kind of interesting. It just proved not to be. They, they weren't even coming from that area, even though that, that definitely is, there's brain damage there. Mm -hmm. There's definitely some damage there um, around that, that area. And we'll never know where that came from. Because, you know, I've, I've always said this about Alec, too, with all the seizures that he was having. He's, I, I believe he could have even sustained more head traumas with the amount of times that he's gone down and not been, um, you know, seizure control. He has had some other injuries to his head, which are, they're alarming and they're scary, you know, um, when you live a, a life with seizures. Yeah, Absolutely. I think you touch on a on a a really important piece here that I I want to dig into a little bit more, and that is how have the seizures affected your life? You, you know, you you talk about you know more seizures bring more seizures, brings more damage, brings more negative effects and impacts on your life. Uh, for those that may not understand what that actually looks like, can you tell us or give us some examples of of how it has impacted your life? Uh, you know, one, one big thing that I, I do want to put out to whoever watches this is I like to be a very independent person. And I, I, I do have a support team, but I don't ever really want to lie into their, their hands too much. Um, but there's been multiple times where, you know, I've come off a of medication out of frustration when, when at the very beginning when stuff was ramping up, um, and I would, I would just go off and try to be away thinking that moving or changing my locations is what's going to solve the issue. Um, and you know, I end up in a hospital, uh, not knowing where I'm at. Uh, and you know, my mom has to come. You can't do this alone. Um, it does definitely bring on some dark days. Uh, you know, you can't go after certain things that you thought you wanted to you have to take a slower pace at things, but everything is achievable just at the right speeds um, and with the right support system um, and relying on your team, essentially. Now, we are beyond grateful that you are speaking with us 
today about your journey, but have you always been this open about your epilepsy and the seizures, or is this something that you have hidden in the past? Oh, for sure. I've, I've hidden um, from a lot of people and still to this day. Um, I was a server at Dave & Buster's when I moved out to Colorado, just getting extra, extra change in, um, going to college. Um, I would go wait tables after school. Um, and when something felt off, uh, I would duck in the bathrooms, kind of have, you know, seizures in the bathrooms and then come back out and finish the, the shift because I, I didn't want people to see, see me struggling or even have a seizure out in front of everybody else. First of all, you are amazing and so incredibly strong and resilient. And that story gives me absolute chills. But it also makes me incredibly sad that you were in a bathroom stall at a restaurant having seizures while on your shift and then would go out and continue. And um, I just, I can't imagine being in that position. And, and it makes me equally impressed and, and just so sad and frustrated at the same time. And just to talk a little bit about the supports, I mean, that's, there would be so many times he would call me, you know, he was in Colorado, I was in Florida, and he would call me from these stalls, mom, I'm in the bathroom again, and talking through and, and figuring out how to, you know, his calming mechanisms, you know, he, he's had a lot of practice in calming his body to do those things. But there's been a lot of, a lot of calls from bathrooms more than I, I, I probably care to admit. And how do you, what is your advice for other parents in your position where you're getting those calls and you're thousands of miles away and you seem so calm about it? And, mm -hmm. but I, I mean, I know it's terrifying watching your child or hearing about a seizure that your child had and, and feeling so helpless. Mm -hmm. How, how have you remained calm? How have you recognized and balanced independence versus wanting to take care of your baby. Well, you know, and, and meanwhile, I know that you are a grown man, but to a mother, you are always your mom. That's, that's, that's very true. Yeah. I think, I think early on, I just didn't even really know it. I think we were in such go mode, you know, at the time it was, I feel like there was just crisis after crisis, after crisis, ambulance, then it was calls from the bathroom. Then it was, you know, those, those were some of the dark, dark days, you know, and we had them with the, with the hand accident, you know, and fast forward two years, we're on a different crisis mode. I think we were just really in go mode, trying to really figure things out, especially me. Um, but ultimately that led to him coming home. You know, mm -hmm. I, mom, I can't be here anymore. He couldn't live independently to where he had to come home, which was easier than being thousands of miles away. I'll tell you, but we're, we're very new in this, this community, <laughs> You know, we've spent all of 2018 really just discovering his seizures. 2019 is where we've really just been doing all of the testing and hospitalization to this point. But, you know, as a parent, I've had to sit back and show up when he needed me in big ways, you know, big ways. And I think for any parent dealing with, with epilepsy is, is, is helping them gauge this because I had to show up, but then I also have to step away because independence for him is huge. This is a 25, almost 26 year old guy that was in the military, you know, and, and moving home with your mom is hard, you know? So that's, that's really for me, 
just watching that, engaging that, and and helping him when I see things that he may not recognize too, is pointing them out. Hey, are you feeling okay? You know, um, and just being really just supportive and 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 knowing what my role is to step up, step back, mm-hmm. to allow him to grow and be independent as he can at this point in his life, which is important. And that just goes back to you have to be truthful with your support groups because I. I definitely would keep a lot of information away from my mom because it is, there's, you know, I just wanted to be, I I wanted to be her, be proud of me independently. Um, And, you know, I would have seizures, call her after or call her before seizures. I could gauge what types were coming on at that point. Um, But you just have to be open and truthful because ultimately when you're unconscious and nobody's there around, doesn't know what's happening to you, they're going to get the call as my emergency contact number. And she's got to be fed the whole story, know what's, what's happening, make sure people are timing it, uh, places that I'm at and all that. Yeah. Communication is, mm-hmm. is integral. It's uh, unless, unless you have that support team, unless you have that seizure action plan in mm-hmm. place, uh, you're just putting yourself at greater risk. I think that's, really incredible advice. And tell us about what you're doing now. I still want to use my, my uh, post 9-11 bill for school, but at this point in time, it's just not smart because my, my memory is horrible and I don't want to waste that on a degree and not remember anything that I did. So again, we're leading up to this point where I have the deep, uh, deep brain stimulator implanted and see how that kind of affects me and then go on and achieve those, uh, achieve those goals. When you're able to start school, what is it that you would like to study? I'm uh, going back in the college that I was out in Colorado was aviation electronics. Um, and then that's what I'll, I'll go back towards um, when I go back to school. Amazing. Well, we wish you the best of luck with that. Alec, Katie, thank you so much for sharing your story with us. Um, Alec, thank you for your service. And I am, um, I'm sorry that this was the crappy club that you had to enter following that one. (laughs) Um, But I hope that you know that you are in incredible company and, um, and we fully support you and, and hope that um, I get an email one day telling about your, your graduation and moving on into aviation. I can't wait to read all about it. All right. Thank you for having us. Thank you, Kelly. Thank you, Alex and Katie, for sharing your experience battling post-traumatic epilepsy. Cure understands that epilepsy can strike anyone at any time without warning. One in 26 Americans will develop epilepsy in their lifetime, and the cause can vary from genetics to illness to infection to traumatic brain injury, and some never know the cause for their epilepsy. That is why CURE is dedicated to funding patient-focused research that will bring us new knowledge, therapies, and cures. Now more than ever, we need your help to pursue our mission. Please visit cureepilepsy.org forward slash donate. Your support and generosity are greatly appreciated. Thank you.
The opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect the views of Cure. The information contained herein is provided for general information only and does not offer medical advice or recommendations. Individuals should not rely on this information as a substitute for consultations with qualified healthcare professionals who are familiar with individual medical conditions and needs. Cure strongly recommends that care and treatment decisions related to epilepsy and any other medical condition be made in consultation with a patient's physician or other qualified healthcare professionals who are familiar with the individual's specific health situation.